good morning, good evening, good night, wherever and whenever you are. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Understood Properly with Brian Thornton. And this week, we conclude my conversation with Khalil. We jump all over the place, guys. We talk about the idea of rights. We talk a lot more about nuance, the problems with left and right, authoritarianism, libertarianism, what have you. I really hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I had making it. Once again, apologies for the audio quality. Now let's get into it. Let's um, going back bit. to your um, your question about uh, we're on two different um, the left. I think the left and the right, and I think that there's just there's we're on uneven um, we're on uneven footing on what it means to have a free society. It's yeah. free and just going back free society, obviously, to progressives and and um, the the democratic socialists um, generally means free healthcare, free. Um, you know, free child care, free maternity leave, free abortions, uh, free birth control, free, 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 free. And it's just kind of that socialist mentality, or I think it's a, it's a Marxist mentality of you're free once you have the ability to actually be like physically, not physically free, but you can actually do things. Um, but obviously, that's, there's a problem with that. And I think free for a lot of the conservatives, or the, I'm not going to say conservatives, conservatives, I'm going to say free for the alt-right um, specifically specifically mm-hmm. is um it's top-down order um based on uh, some sort of racial order um or at least some sort of uh, uh, pseudo meritocracy order i don't think that yeah. they're actually maybe you would come across this a little more than i because i really i don't think i've ever come across a true member of the alt-right i think i've certainly come across people who might be part of like the reactionary right or yeah. you know like people who are just responding and that and i think there's an interesting point to to note that you know if at least uh, i think kevin goodsman wrote in his book on fascism is it kevin goodsman it said that you know fascism was like a, re- a, re- a reaction to communism right so it just adopted a lot of the right. same mentality of things do you find that i, I don't know cuz it, it's sometimes sometimes i feel like people will just if you mention the word marx or if you mention the the idea of marxism as being the reducible quality for or the reducible attribute to a lot of what we might call left wing and and so mm-hmm. I like to put it in in terms of like egalitarian like radical egalitarianism this idea that we have to make everyone equal that's what I right. that's that's what I think characterizes the left whereas and what I think characterizes the right has to do with what you are getting at which is a radical hierarchy where mm-hmm. the hierarchy must be established and should be established around certain lines and then generally those lines default to like sex and race right for i mean not for whatever reason i think for obvious reasons that this is this is a way of thinking about things but i think in both of those cases those people in and of themselves are what we might understand as being authoritarian and they're more concerned with their team beating people into submission through the political process than they are with coming to an understanding of different points of view right yeah Exactly. Um, I think that you said it. I think that you said it perfectly. Uh, people aren't. People are more. And again, the people are a lot more totalitarian than I think that they'll they'll give themselves credit for as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, not in like a huge, not in like a, a serious despotic sense. But I think that they're they're much more keen to using violence, and I think that they'll admit to. Um, but no, it's true. I think that. Um, I just just going you know beyond that and, and, and going back to my point a little bit I think that there are people who um, you know who don't want to see the world as or who want to see the world as this you know this this potentially orderless this order orderable thing um, and according to their uh, ideology and according to um, you know their their pieces and according to how 
how they want to structure the world based on um, you know their uh, their their literally their just their their perspective, um, but they're both totalitarian in um, in nature, and I think that they are quite unnuanced in thinking in nature because it's easy to think it's easy to separate people. Um, radical egalitarianism and separations of race and and sex is it's extremely easy to. Th- think about mm-hmm. it's extremely easy to just to just conceptualize right look, that's at, look at the difference in melanin in our skins and say okay these guys must be these guys must be different in one in yeah. one for, in one sense or another right right oh. exactly sorry you're saying no yeah um well so i was actually i don't know what was i saying i was talking about how like yeah and this is this is kind of what i see on the fringes but then you have you know people will talk about the middle and i used to kind of run away from the idea of the middle and i've become a little more um a little more empathetic to the idea of there being a, a political, maybe a political middle. And I certainly think there's, there's a, there's an argument to be made because I'm not, I don't consider myself a strict anarchist or an anarchist. Really. I don't consider myself a statist or an anarchist. I don't consider myself left or right. I think that I'm more concerned with, like I've said at the moment, stripping myself of ideology, staying true to things like science and, and reason. And, you know, uh, this, this idea of skepticism, this idea of the philosophy of doubt of withholding assent to try and push through things. But there's, yeah. but do you, so if the political process, do you think the market process can actually fix this as well? Because the, yeah, there's, I, there's this, there's this interesting thing though, where like the market process is meant to, to serve people's needs. And so it, it, it actually doesn't care so much about what is right or, or maybe right in a, uh, I don't want to say true sense. Cause you know, I don't love that word, but right, like right. in a full sense of that word, right. It's more sure. about serving it. It's, it's the way. It's the degree to which you can go on a website and buy like uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump toilet paper, kind of a thing. Like sure. that's that's yeah. sort of what the market is. Yeah, I think that. I, I mean, I think any solution, um, like, well, any solution to this problem. I shouldn't say any. I think a solution is going to come from the market. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that's going to look. I don't know where it's going to look. I, there's a there's a funny thing we were talking about if Yahoo. Um, changed their um, well. One of my one of my roommates suggested this: if Yahoo changed their um, their structure and they became a uh, they became more of a conservative, they allowed for conservative pundits and like conservative YouTube and stuff like that to mm-hmm. um, exist. Yahoo's big enough that they could get um, they could get an, a platform for for advertisements. And then you have a comp- then you have competition right there. Uh, and yeah, I think there's gonna be a lot less complaining about Facebook censorship, YouTube censorship. Just, you know, mm-hmm. if uh, censorship, if, if if Yahoo does this, so I think that there's there's a lot of unforeseen ways of 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 solving uh, at least a portion of this problem, or at least having a having a solution, a possible solution um, to the problem of of political of just this division. But I think that I think that it's more fundamental, um, and I think I don't know how to solve this. I think that there are, and the reason I think one of the reasons I think that libertarianism is not a good word to use yeah is because we're so off foot with you know freedom for for the the right broadly freedom for the left are going to be different freedom for libertarianism is is in its within itself is just is just off too because uh when i was when i went to ayn Rankon, um this is one of the things that i think he made a very good point i forget the speaker but he said that libertarians tend to not define aggression um the same Hmm. You know, there'll there'll be yep. an anarchist who will say, um, who will say, like, no, if they have nuclear weapons on their, um, if they have nuclear weapons and they're pointing them at my house, as long as they don't shoot it off, you know, it's it's all good. And then there'll be um, a minarchist or, or or somebody who says, like, no, there's no reason for, uh, or just a normal libertarian or just the average libertarian would say, there's no reason for somebody to have a nuclear 
their weapon at all. Yeah. That's it's that in itself is is a very coercive thing. There's no defensive purposes of a of a nuclear weapon. Um, the same thing can go with. Um, you know, cons- uh, having an AR-15 in a ready position and walking down the street, there'll be, uh, you know, is that coercive? Is that um, an act of aggression? Um, there'll be libertarians who say yes, and there'll be um, some libertarians who'll say no. Um, so even in the libertarian circle itself, I think that there's not even a fundamental agreement as to what um, aggression even means, mm-hmm. because it's all about um, how far along? How how much are you willing to take? Willing to say that you'll take on the internet? Um, whereas I actually don't think that if somebody um, saw somebody walking down the street with an AR-15 in a ready position, uh, is really going to be that comfortable and say, "Oh, that's okay. He's not aggressing against anybody." I, I know I wouldn't. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you have it in front of you, I'm going to be. Well, I remember very. It was. Um, I was at a bar a couple of weeks ago, and I was like sitting outside, and this a gun doesn't come into it, but it's kind of to the point of like what constitutes aggression. At the table next to me, there was a group of people sitting, and there was a, um, I remember he was wearing like a bowling style shirt open. It was like mm. a black sla- black short sleeve shirt, and he had like a pint of, he had a pint of Captain Morgan's or vodka mm. in his back pocket. And I noticed, I watched him, I, I kind of watched him as, as the night progressed, and he, he got more and more aggressive, right? And so this, and so mm-hmm. what was the, and there were, there were a couple points where I was just kind of sitting there and, you know, and usually in those situations, I'll just, I'll speak a little bit of Spanish so that they don't know what I'm saying, but I'm kind of, but they kind of recognize that I'm mm-hmm. drawing attention to them because I would be like, caramate or something like that, like, tranquilo, like you're being way too uh, aggressive right now. And he'd yeah. get like really close to his friends be like, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. And then he'd like kiss him in the ear very just very strange behavior and i watched him and i, and I kept watching him and then uh, right about the time like i don't know maybe 20 minutes before last call he just takes a glass and just smashes it on the table just straight up smashes it and then says well it's time for me to go and then just and just then just kind of left and wow. meanwhile his friends didn't really do anything except apologize profusely for his for his behavior after the fact and that was that's yeah. one of those things is you know where is that line of aggression I think is very because he was certainly acting very aggressively such that I took notice of him. Right. He, was cer- he certainly could have been a danger such that a bouncer might have tried to forcibly remove him. Thankfully, he managed to remove himself from the situation. Sure. But this was obviously behavior that his friends seemed to tolerate and allow. And I think right. and, and I think that's a really I, there's so here's 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 the question right. Isn't it the case that aggressive behavior, since most people just kind of want to get along, most most people are conflict averse, that we tend to not look aggression until it's standing us, staring us literally in the face? I mean, even me yeah. sitting there, like I didn't get up and go get a bouncer. Now, you know, part of that was because I felt that if he was going to come after me, then I'd be okay. You know, I wouldn't be, I would be, I wasn't that, I wasn't drinking a lot. So I had had like maybe one or two, so I would have been able to handle myself fine. Right. But what that, yeah. that's interesting to to the point about aggression. That's kind of what made me think about it. Is what actually constitutes aggressive behavior? That's in a, that, no, that's in a, that situation. That's a, that's a really good. That's a really good uh, idea. And it's 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 certainly another uh, addition to the complex problem of of how do we identify as aggression? What how do we identify aggression? What do we identify as aggression? You know, for example, if if that was happening and it was just a group of us and we're sitting there and like it just gets um and we're getting like a little rowdy, but it's all playful and someone smashes a bottle, it's it's not going to be seen the same way as if you're just in a in a public space and you're um you're getting rowdy and you smash a bottle. You know, that's that's an aggressive that's aggressive because you don't know what's in his head. You don't know what he's going to be doing. Yeah. Um, you well, don't his know. Mannerisms were very aggressive too, right? Cause yeah, sure. you know, somebody just like, so, I mean, cause there was another guy that like was trying to jump up on a table and knocked bottles off the table and, and they broke, yeah. right? That, that, I mean, kind of interesting. Somebody also approached me in the situation and asked me if the earth was flat around. That's what kind of a bar I was at. <laughs> 
It wasn't a bar of my choosing, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but it sound like it. But sorry. No, yeah, but I think um but I think to the point of where aggression actually lies because I do think that's a really it's such a it's such a it's such an intricate and interesting way of beginning the conversation right. that I wonder why I, I just wonder, and, and what I'm hoping is that I can find people to actually have conversations with that we can that we can have some sort of dialogue about it. Like, why is it that people don't want to start there? Or why is, is it just that people are starting from the political and refusing to work their way backwards? Because sure. I like to say, like, the last thing I am is a libertarian. There's so much more that, you know, or the metaphor yeah. of the iceberg. There's so yeah. much more that goes into how I think and how I approach issues than just this strict political doctrine or the strict idea yeah. of legal doctrine. Yeah, no, I, I think that I think that's really good. And I'm wondering if, you know, I think that most people, you know, you ask you ask them, this is just a typical tabling tactic. Uh, what you do, typical tabling tactic, yeah. What you do is you um you you kind of get them, you corner them and you say, Do you want uh, do you think that it's right or do you think that it's wrong for somebody to aggress against somebody um, when they're acting nonviolently? And every, everyone's gonna say a sociopath's going to say yes, or it's going to say no, but most people are going to say, yeah, of course it's wrong. Of course it's wrong to, to aggress on that. But I think that the fundamental problem is, is that maybe, maybe a fundamental problem, but maybe I'm trying to use that in my, in my language now, but mm -hmm. maybe a fundamental problem is that we all tend to, um, to believe in the non-aggression principle, but our definitions of aggression are different. So yeah. for um, for uh, for people who are advocating for economic justice or whatever, it's aggressive for the one percent to have control fifty percent of the money, while nobody else uh, has. Well, fifty percent have you know the rest of the money or whatever it is, or ninety nine percent have fifty percent. So I think that it's um, you know I think that maybe they all do believe in stopping aggression, but the the definition of aggression for everybody is on we're on completely different levels and there's not really a um there's not really a flat line of where you know we're we're going to tolerate uh, where we can all tolerate the um a aggression being stopped short of murder rape robbery like the, the obvious stuff the, the, yeah. the obvious the obvious stuff yeah and i think i think it's important that we figure out where those obvious things are because case in point i've come across well i, I was going to say i haven't come across a single person but i came across one person uh it was um uh, my my cousin this past week was and i don't know if he was saying it just because he was trying to disagree because we had been drinking or what but you know had disagreed <laughs> with the idea of, of legalizing drugs of ending the drug war but that's something that it seems almost everyone agrees to at least at least in a little and at least in a little part of it vis-a-vis mm -hmm decriminalizing legalizing marijuana mm -hmm. but with other drugs and i i mean i came across that even a few weeks prior where somebody where somebody when i when i said that just completely they took it to the point they, they likened it to they likened it to me saying that saying that drugs should be legalized is the same thing as people shouldn't be able to own nukes to which i replied well who could actually own a nuke in a free mm -hmm. in like an anarchist yeah. free society yeah. it wouldn't be very many people and he's like well that's not the point i'm like well that is the point if you're not going to if you're not going to bring economics into this and that's why at least when i was um uh, if if you go if you guys go back and listen the first few episodes of understood properly with were with a friend of mine ryan shaner who too, who is a little bit more of a progressive a little bit more of a standard democrat type thinker and um and I said, it's not just one thing. It's not just the economics. It's not just science. It's not just evolutionary psychology or biology. Mm -hmm. It's a mix of all these things that we try to do, um, th that we try to do to, to to bring things together. But you say we keep coming back to these different these different starting points. Where do you think where do you think that happens? Because this is this. I mean, and I I'm asking this because I'm, <laughs> I mean, we can say we can say it happens in school. We can say it happens sure. in the home. 
but even you know let's uh, let's take the case like I went to church this morning I don't I don't go to church too much but I decided to go this morning and in the Catholic Mass we have like we offer intentions and there was this one part where like for all the divisions in our world that we that we take care of our hateful language and I just thought to myself I'm like not we don't take care to stop violence we we, can't, mm-hmm. we take care to we take care to stop and this is this is a problem I have with a lot of American Christianity mm-hmm. at the moment because it seems to me like the idea of the Christian message should be one firstly of peace. And as mm-hmm. I've gone back in my life, I've wondered why that wasn't talked about more in my, in my years of Catholic schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like, so we don't want to talk about peace. We want to talk about hurtful words, but we're just going to completely ignore the actual right. violence that's happening. Is that just, and I think some of it, sure. Some of it is because people just don't want to face that. And I think that has a lot to do with it. And this is why I'll separate. We can separate from between people who want to be part of the conversation and people who just want to follow it. And if you're just going to follow it, well then recognize yourself as a follower and realize that you're, that you're taking, you're taking your cues from someone else. But if you are going to be a part of the conversation, how do you, how, how is it that we're actually going to reconcile with this idea of stopping real violence in our world? Right. Well, to go to your original question, um, how does somebody, where do they learn it? I mean, I think that's, (laughs) I think that might be the most, the broadest question that somebody can attempt to yeah. to formulate an answer to because you're you're asking essentially how what influences somebody to think who's who's their influencers to think um you know that's like you said it could be religion it could be um well it is it, it could be religion if they're religious it could be not being religious mm-hmm. it could be authors that they like it could be something they saw on a sh- the street when they were um 10 years old it could be their baseball team's coach um it could be uh their father it could be their brother it could be a death in the family it could be it could be l- literally all of these yeah all all actions that are, are all all things that happen to a, a person are gonna in some way you know, maybe really, really help them to think and formulate um, and formulate these problems. I think that in the U.S., um, the reason that we're, you know, relative to um, relative to other um, countries, other you know, much more despotic countries, we have a much um, we have a lot more we have a lot similar, or at least we we tend to want a free and open society in like in ways that are nonviolent, I should say. It, you know, fundamentally. We we fundamentally I don't think really yeah, anybody if, wants violence. Even if people don't put it in that way, that's what they're that's what they aim for. Yeah, I you know, I, I think that there are people we we fundamentally don't want violence. I think that we're willing to accept and willing to do more violent things won't lead on to. But I think that the reason that um we have um developed in a way that we won't push for violence right away is because we, you know, we live a pretty comfortable life. Most of most yep. of you know people in the United States, so it doesn't really make sense to to ruin our lives like that. And two, I think that there's just a culture of respect that is, um, you know, has helped has at least in some part developed because of our um, our comfortable lifestyles and um, and our, our ability to make more money, be wealthier, not doing something violent than doing something violent. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that that's a, a fundamental thing. I think that's one reason why things like rape, murder, robbery, assault, all of those things are, are just, you don't, that's, we all fundamentally agree. I think mm-hmm. um, barring extreme, extreme political groups, um, would we'd all, the, the majority, 99% of people would say that those are all off limits. Those yeah. are, those are, that's an obvious act of aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in other countries, you know, uh, it, 
except for i'll say in the u.s i think the one is going to be male circumcision i think that's one we don't female circumcision i think that we would find horrendous um but we don't find male her- circumcision yeah. horrendous but and that's that weird thing that it's just the u.s that has that practice right exactly mm-hmm. but um i think that when you when you took when you look at other countries and you have you know female circumcision or you have um saudi arabia just now allowing women um to start driving it, it just just clear violation just clear you know uh totalitarian and, and aggressive uses i think that that's why uh, i think that they lack the same type of respect that we have um for various reasons and i think that that adds to a culture of or adds to um not a culture but adds to a, a government and political system and political culture that is much more aggressive and uh, isn't on the same fundamental level as we are and mm-hmm. i think that that's very dangerous yeah i mean i think it's I, I think when you do examine it there are certainly discrepancies between various cultures let's say there are certainly differences in the way that men and women will treat each other or look at different situations. And I don't think that it's, but, and then, but then there's the constant, there's like the, and this is where I think, this is where I think the back and forth between the left and the right gets so infuriating because most people would agree that we should stop doing bad things. And then for whatever reason, we just get caught up in these little, these little like intricate points of like, Oh, well don't say this because you're an Islamophobe or don't say this because then you're a sexist or a misogynist or a misandrist. And you're just there. And I think this is, I think this is all a consequence for people listening of, of political thinking. I think this is, I think this is something that, um, I think this is this is something that drives you in that respect, and certainly, and well, and here's and here's the interesting thought: how much have Western democracies actually contributed to this problem? Because, um, you know, as as somebody who examines like the skeptical school of thought, and the farther back I go, there was, you know, a, a really big part of it had a lot to do with, you know, removing yourself from society essentially, and removing yourself from the process. But then there's something to be said for the fact that back then everyone realized that the political process was outside of their hands for the vast majority of people, right? It was mm-hmm. only for the few. It was for the elite. It was for the royalty, those handpicked by God, so to so called. That you know, were, explicitly uh, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, that they were the ones who were gonna who were gonna solve this for you. Um, right. Whereas today, this is this is why I think I can still be someone who has philosophically skeptical roots, but takes a quote unquote political position in that I do, which I don't know that I and I do, you know, because I think I think we shouldn't punish people for for victimless crimes and things like mm-hmm. that. That is in and of itself a political position. How much do you think? Yeah. So how much do you think that it's because it's this interesting thing of democracy and that is so central to especially um, certainly the European, the European conception of things right here in the United mm-hmm. States. You have this you have this this back and forth between, you know, this will be because we need to save our democracy. We don't have a democracy, stupid. We live in a mm-hmm. constitutional republic. Well, how much right. is that constitu- constitutional republic actually done for any of us? Really? I mean, like right. we get we get one small victory in 10 in 10 major losses, so to speak, if we're yeah. going to understand this idea of negative rights, which again, I think to your point that you were that you were discussing earlier, a lot of this comes down to our conception of rights. And do you have a good definition for a right by, oh. off the top of your head? Because this is one yeah. thing that I, you know, just talking about how um, complex these situations are is I don't know that I even have a good, like I would say a right is something, it, it's almost like an axiom and that it's something take it for granted, right? Or it's something yeah. given, but then, or, or I come to the point of it's something given to, to an individual but then it's the but then it begs the question of by by who was it given to or in what respect is it granted yeah i um you know i i don't have a specific cuz cuz you have to and get do we even have rights uh, like that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i think that um i think that it is obviously my uh, my definition of right is it would be axiomatic 
mm-hmm. um, in, in that they're self-evident yeah because you exist um, and um, because you exist in, in that um, in that you are endowed by the right and the ability to think freely and uh, conduct things yeah. according to reality um, mm-hmm. so that's that's just kind of a basic one I think that a lot of people I mean I, I haven't flushed it out and I and I'm really interested in flushing it out um, because that's like a fundamental thing I think that libertarians and a lot of youth movements or at least on the right conservative movement too um, just champions rights and champions uh, right now it's probably sure it's happening in the the, so, the youth socialist movements too where it's like the yeah. man's rights are, are are these but I don't think that people have ever fundamentally like literally gone like metaphysical mm-hmm. epistemological certainly um, not in our political. generation yeah, yeah and, and have actually like explored like bottom up what is empirical and what is logical and what is not contradictory and like these this is these would be rights this yeah. is the rights i think that they just take it um on uh, via rhetoric um from their favorite politician or from their favorite speaker and i think it's sad and i think that um i think that might be i mean there we go i think that might be a fundamental reason as to why we are on these different these different um levels in regards to what we decide as uh, rights and what we decide as aggression and what we decide as um, a violation of of either one mm-hmm. because we haven't because we haven't no one's ever gone fundamental with somebody like very very fundamental like axiomatically fundamental yeah and then built up and I think that that might be I think that maybe that's where um, maybe that's where some safety can be or at least some saving grace can be found is that if we re if we rethink how we teach philosophy and instead of starting from like ethics 101 or um, or phil- or philosophy like Plato 101, we start literally like the fundamental things and we build up from there. I don't know. That's just yeah. a thought. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think that's a really good point. But then, well, and I think well, I think we're I think where we're starting to push into a little bit is that the the the, the nature and the way in which we educate should possibly should, should I, I would argue should change in in the modern in, in the modern age and i think if yeah. you know if you go back historically you find out that you know this idea of like everyone having a specific department in which you know everyone has their own esoteric completely non-important trivial discipline about like you know the x the x factor of y and z and why this why this contributes to such and such a thing that you know they they take these ideas that they, they specialize in something that's of no value right and this this right. is just as true with philosophers as it is with other like let's say sociologists or critical mm-hmm. race theorists or fem- fe- feminist philosophers as well i think um and 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 if you look back uh, as far as i know that can be traced very directly to like this germanic idea of a university which is based on lecture as opposed to like a scholastic we might call situation where it was more about this is this is the difference between the lecture versus like Thomas Aquinas's um, during Thomas Aquinas's time, where like the point was to ask questions and answer them. And we see this we see this in Platonic thinking as well. And this is an idea where you know academics thinkers were more were were, were much broader in their mm-hmm. scope of understanding and in their field of influence. And is this and so some would say this is a consequence of our of our modern age and that you know we need to specialize in more and more things and so is it the case that we need to specialize in stuff such that the division of labor intellectually speaking right because the intellect the division of labor practically or in the actual world i think is i think is fairly obvious right we've seen the benefits of that and 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 to that extent i think people have taken that to saying oh well the intellectual division of labor should should follow the same route 
but I don't think I I would certainly fall on the side that says maybe not. Maybe we should maybe we should take a sec maybe we should take a, a, a heartbeat back and I and I use uh, you know at the beginning of human action Mises talks about how the the philosopher has a lot to offer but could learn a little bit from the economist and I certainly yeah. think and I certainly think that's a valid point because I've I've certainly learned a lot about how to go about my philosophy just by reading some good economics textbooks and I guess yeah. by good I would mean logical and not you know not focused on empiricism and perfect order and and all this stuff because there seems to be within a certain I don't even know I don't the, the I guess I guess the issue is if you can't figure out how to if you can't figure out the right way to um what's what's the word if you can't the, the right word to use to describe something it's very mm -hmm. difficult to push it and this is and so kind of jumping back a little bit certainly you'll find people in in like that are professors and that are grad students who are very comfortable with calling themselves marxist at least in a certain sense however if you move out into the common world you don't see as many people or you see people who are maybe advocating for marxist thought but don't but don't have enough uh understanding to to call themselves that one way or the other sure so if we can't call someone a mar and, and this is and this is the um, this is the critique levied against people like Jordan Peterson that oh well everything just can't be a neo-marxist postmodernist cabal because look at us I'm not a marxist right like I think that da 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 da, da. whereas mm -hmm. I I don't know so is it is it reducible are we are we falling victims to reductionism in this respect are we misunderstanding people but it's it's and I say this because it's very difficult for me when I'm reading the arguments presented by people who are for like, let's say wealth redistribution or people who focus solely on like racial social, like social justice vis-a-vis -vis race that I can't, seem, yeah. I can't seem to escape. Um, did you watch the monk debate? I covered it on the last episode that, that the, took place in Canada. Uh, was that between uh, Jordan Peterson and uh, Michael? Was, Eric is Dyson that, and, yeah. 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 Uh, yes. Yes. Gold, I did watch that. Uh, yeah. You, you did watch that. Yes, I did. Okay, so one thing that I that I talked about in the last episode was how much it seemed to me, as far as like avatars, how Jordan Peterson was like this avatar for, and and Stephen Fry even more so because I think yeah. Stephen Fry was the one who who walked away from that debate handedly and he did the best job out of all of them. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas Michael Eric Dyson was this avatar, or Stephen Fry was like this avatar for like the individualist liberal perspective, whereas Stephen Fry was very much an avatar for this collectivist thinking, such that he couldn't even escape it. When he, even if he had wanted to, and I don't know that, and I, I don't know that I could say that he did want to, but, um, but he, he couldn't, he seemed to not be able to escape this constant, this constant need to reference everything first to the American perspective, even though it was an international audience and in an international setting, and B to the specific reference of race in America, and more specifically yeah. between blacks and whites in America, and so it was this constant thing of, oh well, you're saying something I disagree with, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna paint you as, you know, the white oppressor. Am right. I missing? You know, are we missing something when we when we when we reduce yeah. people strictly to Marxism, or are we yeah. capturing it correctly and they're just being disingenuous by not admitting it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a very that's I think that's the problem. Um, I think that's the problem that Jordan Peterson awkwardly falls into as well because he kind of reduces everything. Um, well. Jordan Peterson, we, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Jordan Peterson yeah, in another I, podcast. I felt like we've been dancing around it for like the last hour, <laughs> yeah. and I've just I just finally broke down and brought it yeah, up. But just yeah, had to. But I think that um, I think that Jordan Peterson, um, and there, there's the article um, or the essay that, that you and I have both read mm -hmm. um, by his uh, colleague at the U, at UT or U Toronto, and um, I think that that might have been the most eloquent and the most the best critique of, of kind of his, I think that there's still problems with it, but I think that it, it was a very good critique of him. And I think that there's, it, it held some truth. And I think that that truth 
was that Jordan Peterson uncomfortably pushes uh, or, or, or criticizes people for um, dumbing things down or simplifying things, reducing things, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yet, in order for him to get across what he's actually thinking and what he actually believes and what his thought processes are, you, is he has to simplify. You have to reduce, it. Have to reduce yeah. it. And I think that that was that was his critique. It's that it's that you know the the same the same thing that you're charging the same problems that you're charging the left or the neo Marxists or the or the cultural Marxists with. You're doing mm-hmm. you're doing the same thing, and it's in some people in his in his opinion his view he saw he's seeing the exact same type of um, reaction from people who support Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, yeah. Well, and John Locke Locke brings this up um, in in one of in some of his works, where he's trying to talk about like the nature of knowledge, and this kind of this gets to your point in your article um, with this idea of like a total non contradictory truth is that there really is a certain respect to which we can't understand everything. And this is where, this is why, I, this is why I say like the skeptical position comes in and does a lot of good here, because if you start from a position of doubt rather than, and, and, you know, like, so from doubt, you can, you can derive certain, what I would call axioms. Sure. Um, and that, you know, and those axioms are more, I guess you would say practical or pragmatic than they are objective. And, and this is, this is my, I, just so everyone understands, this is an area where Khalil and I actually have some disagreement on, so don't, I don't want to speak for him. But, you know, from that point, we can come to some sort of axioms that we can understand about the world. And so the problem, the problem then comes there because people will take different things as axiomatically true. And for me, at least, it doesn't seem to matter very much whether those axioms are true or untrue so much as it matters how people take them. And I think this is something that you'll see in religious thinking. This is something that you see certainly in political thinking, where it matters a lot less about it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't actually matter. Truth is like history. The editor allowed it, mm-hmm. right? Like that's 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 what you know. It's or what is it that people say too? Like you know, like the history is written by the victor, and so it doesn't really matter if you wipe out all of your enemies. Well, then you're the one who gets to say what actually happened. Sure, sure. Yeah, I you know, axiomatic thinking. Uh, well, I don't. You know, I have to I have to kind of revisit my thoughts on on that stuff. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. let you know that I'll probably it probably won't change. Um, if anything, it probably got stronger. But I'm gonna revisit thinking on that. Um, I think that you know we'll 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 get there we'll get there in the next podcast, Jordan Peterson, or the next one that I'm on because I do want to talk about it. But mm-hmm. I think that there's um, Jordan Peterson is very smart and has said and hasn't and hasn't necessarily reduced things except when he actually need he he needs to um for example for in his book 12 rules of life um but i think that there is a point at which people take and understand jordan peterson as axiomatic mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily well, they don't get yeah, they, they, a, they insert what they want it to be what want his yeah. axioms to be yeah. and then as a they, guy who constantly says i'm just speaking my truth i'm trying to say the way that i conceptualize the world for the world to come back at me they seem to take him for being somebody passing down a god-given truth and this goes for his followers just as much as it does for his detractors let's try and let's try and pivot away though so we don't get caught yeah. up in this conversation yeah and um what are you so um so so Subversive liberty sure. was a, was an idea that we we started like I don't know a year and a half ago two years ago almost that we were talking yeah. about you know how we how could we actually how could we actually do this stuff um, and I and so and I've been I've been trying to reconcile with you know some of the stuff that we've learned over the last year and a half 
about how we should go forward. So I'm gonna I'm gonna lay it out for you a little bit, and then maybe and then hopefully the people at home who listen to this sure. will be able to take this to heart. So one of the ideas that I said is I'm trying to strip myself of ideology. That's something that I'm doing personally with the podcast. I'm hopefully and it's gonna I hope hopefully it's gonna come out of my writing. I'm trying to figure out a, a way of schematizing culture, right? That's some of the that's some of the deeper work you and I have talked about that, and I need mm-hmm. to kind of get the ball rolling on that as far as my own writing goes. Um, but I would really like for, and this is this is an open call to everyone. What I would really like for anyone who's interested or who who looks at our stuff at Subversive Liberty to um, write to us. And insofar as we can create a space where ideas are talked about in a in a um, <laughs> the word that popped into my head was non-binary. <laughs> <laughs> in a non-non-binary so- way. Let's do it. Insofar as we can try and escape this, or in you know, or insofar as you think that the political realm is necessary, I, I want to try and turn it into a way in which we write letters or essays, kind of like the essay you said. We're like, I'm not, I'm not trying to bring any answers. I don't think we provided a single answer in this hour, fifteen minutes that we've no. talked so far. We've made more right? questions. We, we, what we've, <laughs> what we've done is we've just found at each step there are more and more questions that have to be answered. And what I would encourage for people listening at home is, if you have a question to write to us. You can write at feedback at subversiveliberty.org. You can reach out to the Subversive Liberty page. You can reach out to Khalil's personal book for personal Facebook and Twitter, my personal Facebook and Twitter, because if if we're not willing to have, if we're not willing to, if you're not willing to have a conversation, well then shut the hell up because mm-hmm. it's time. I think the time has, I think the time has stopped for, like you said, the trolling culture. I think the time has stopped for the inflammatory language. I think we need to have some sort of move towards civility yeah. whatever that word means of just of and of understanding there are differences and i think if you're not willing to recognize those differences and to understand that there are maybe differences maybe even irreconcilable differences well then i right. think the question is that then i think the question is whether we can live in peace yeah and that's the direction i want to take the website that's the direction i want to take understood properly is talk about all the areas of agreement find out where the irreconcilable differences are and then more importantly establish whether we could live in peace because if we're not talking we're fighting and if sure. and as long as we're talking, we're not. There's no violence. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. if we can agree to start there at that point, I think a lot of conversations, the the conversation can get better from there. So um, yeah, I think I think that I think that does a good job for the last uh, hour and fifteen minutes of conversation. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to plug or any anything that you want to get off your chest before we sign off today? Um, no, I think that I think that we covered most of it. I think that just going on your last comment, um, civility, actual actual conversations of which you come into the conversation knowing that you do not know everything about the situation and knowing that you're not going to troll the situation or you're not trying to bring in rhetoric or you're not trying to influence it in a way that is not um, logical, I think is, um, is how we get this ball rolling. Yeah. Have you, well, actually, before we go, did you take a look at that at the, at the party game that I come up with? I did not know. Assertion. You haven't looked at it yet? No, not yet. Never mind. Send we are, me again. <laughs> so then we are going to leave it there. Remember, guys, to find me, head over to subversiveliberty.org slash subscribe to follow us everywhere. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, so on and so forth. Any major podcatcher you can find us on. You can find me at Brian Thornton Jr. That's T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N. That, that's Brian Thornton, like a thorn in your side. Khalil, tell everyone how they can find you. Uh, you can look me up on Facebook. Uh, Khalil Copas, C-A-H-L, or C-A-H-L-E-E-L-C-O-P-U-S. Can't spell my own name, but that's okay. Um, yeah, you, if, if uh, honestly, if you ever have any questions for me, um, to the people listening, please just comment on our stuff on subversive liberty or just message me directly. I'd be happy to have a little chat. Yeah. 
Awesome. And remember, the piece that we started this conversation with was A World Without Nuance, which you can find at subversiveliberty.org. Some great thoughts from Khalil. And um, I know both him and I are looking forward to uh, pushing forward in the coming months and years to um, try to address some of the problems that we saw here today. I'm going to see if there is a solution to that. I'm going to learn how to spell my name. But yes, exactly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. And we're going to focus on spelling first. That's uh, that's next week's episode. We're going to do some ABCs. Yeah. <laughs> All right. righty. Well, remember, everyone, if we fear what we do not understand, the answer must be to try to understand everything. So I hope you have a good morning, a good evening and good night.